I think we can all agree that learning is more fun when you do it with friends, right? So if one of your summer goals is to learn more about the science of reading and how to incorporate it into your classroom, then let me invite you to join our free summer book study. During the month of June, we are going to be hosting a free book study for teachers just like you, where we are going to work our way through the book, Shifting the Balance, Six Ways to Bring the Science of Reading into Your Upper Elementary Classroom. And we'd love to have you join us. We're going to read one chapter a week. And inside our book study Facebook group, you're going to get to participate in things like our weekly Facebook Live, discussion posts. You're going to get some really awesome freebies and the chance to win some stellar prizes. All of this is going to help you align your instruction with the science of reading next year. It's going to be fun. And even if you don't think you'll have time to read every single chapter, still consider joining. You're going to get a lot out of the group, even if you don't have time to read the entire text. So I hope to see you this summer where we can all learn alongside each other. You can sign up at stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. And I'll see you inside our group. You're listening to episode 11 of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Hey friends, I am so excited to have you back for another week of the podcast, and I'm extremely excited this week because I have a very special guest. I love being able to invite some of my very favorite teacher friends onto the podcast to share their knowledge and areas of expertise, and today I have Beth Voshe from Inspiring Young Learners. And she is an expert in all things ELL. And so we are going to go ahead and have a great conversation today about how you can support your ELL students during your reading block. So Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me on here. I'm so excited to be a part of your stellar podcast. Yes. Can you go ahead and just give a brief introduction for anybody in my audience who might not know you or your TPT store or uh, membership that you have? Yes, that'd be, that'd be great. Um, my name is Beth Boucher, and I am the creator behind Inspiring Young Learners. Um, I started it about four and a half years ago, and really my main focus, my passion is to help support and empower teachers to equip their English language learners. Um, so that might be a homeroom teacher in the classroom, or that might be an ESL specialist that's doing pullout groups and supporting students in small groups. Um, that's really become my passion through my experience in working in Chicago. And really, the majority of my class were all ELL students in the homeroom classroom. And then moving abroad, living abroad, and teaching at an international school in Panama. And just really developed a deep love and passion to see students learn English while still I'm really supporting them in their native language and just seeing them soar when they have that, you know, combination of the support of their home culture and then adding in English. So it's really exciting. And um, it's been my experience for the last eight years of teaching with 
students with English or that are learning English. Which is awesome. And so Beth and I met a couple years ago at a TPT conference. And um, as soon as I found out that she was sort of her area of expertise was ELL, I got so excited because before I left the classroom, I worked at an international school and we had students from so many languages. I mean, I think I had, you know, 1.8 different native languages in my classroom. And I remember as a homeroom teacher struggling to figure out how can I best support all of these students, especially when they're all different languages. And so when I met Beth, I was just so happy to connect with her and loved that she was able to provide teachers with the support that I know I wish I would have had and is so very important. Also fun little thing. So I don't know about you guys, but when you like the, one of the things I love about the internet is that it allows you to connect with teachers from all over. Um, but I also feel like it sort of like prevents you from knowing very simple things like how to pronounce people's last names. And <laughs> for the longest time I would see Beth's name and in my head, I was like, oh, Beth Voucher. And then when we became real friends and started communicating off of Instagram, I think she left me a message once saying, hey, this is Beth Voshe. And I was like, Oh, I've been saying <laughs> you're not the first. <laughs> and to admit, I didn't know how to pronounce your last name either until I listened to your first podcast. And I was like, oh, that's how you say it. I was going to say, a lot of people told me that though, too, that they didn't know how to say my last name. So, yeah. anyways, but let's talk about the important things. Today, we're going to talk about Beth has five tips that she wants to share for how homeroom teachers can set up their reading block to really support their ELL students. But before we jump into those, why should teachers even care? Why is this an episode that homeroom teachers should listen to? Why is it important for us to know how to support our ELL students? That's a great question. And one, I believe because all of the classrooms, it doesn't matter if you are in a rural area of Wisconsin or you're in inner city, your classrooms have students that speak other languages, that their first language is not English. And so Sadly, the statistics show that only 1% of homeroom teachers have training in supporting ELLs, and really the ELLs are with the homeroom teachers the majority of the day. And so I think it's vital that homeroom teachers, one, feel they know how to support the ELLs in their classroom so that they don't feel stressed and overwhelmed, um, because it is really different supporting a student whose first language is not English, but also so that we help these students. We help give them the support they need. We help engage them and meet them where they're at. Um, we really bring in that connection between culture and language in our classroom so that they feel that excitement for learning. They feel accepted. They feel wanted and welcomed. And it's not that difficult. It really, there's a lot of easy tips and strategies. And really, it starts with just having that desire to learn and having that desire to meet them where they're at. And it goes a long way. Um, so I'm really passionate about helping the homeroom teacher see that, oh, you know what? I'm already doing a lot of this stuff, but it might just need this little tweak. Um, a lot of what we're going to talk about today are things that you already share. You know, they're just good principles of reading, but how can we tweak them just a little bit so we make sure we keep that language and culture in mind as we work with our ELLs? Well, and I know you and I have talked about that before or kind of go back and forth when, you know, we post something on Instagram that so often the best practices that we should be doing in reading are also best practices for our ELL students. And I think sometimes as teachers, we can have this, this mindset that we have to do extra, that it takes mm -hmm. something, it takes more time, that we have to do something completely different. And we all know that teachers don't have as much time as they would like to have. But you're right. While we do need to make sure we're keeping our ELL students in mind, 
there are things that we can do that are just best practices, but are going to have a huge impact on our ELL students. So hopefully after today's episodes, all of the teachers listening feel just a little bit better and more empowered knowing that it doesn't require a ton of extra, just maybe a little bit more intention when it comes to supporting students during their reading block. No, I just always say that, you know, when we teach with our ELLs in mind, all of our students succeed, you know, all of our students are going to benefit from these ways that we kind of just take a little bit more time to prep the work. Because we know in our classes, we have students that are all over the board, we, you know, we're not teaching a classroom that's just, oh, everyone's at the same level, everyone has the same background, that's not what our classrooms look like. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, So we need to make sure that we're adjusting what we're doing. And when we have that focus of ELLs, you know, all our students are going to really benefit from that. So we'll get more into that here. Yes. I love thinking of it in that way, that when we plan our reading block with our ELLs in mind, all students benefit. That's a really great way of looking at it. Let's go ahead. I know you told me that you really have five things that teachers can do to set up their reading block in a way that really supports their ELL students. So what's the first thing that teachers really need to think about? Yeah. I mean, honestly, Sarah, I think that your reading block is probably the best time that you can support your ELLs. Um, So this is a really exciting topic for me because I think when you can learn how to maximize that time, your students are really going to get what they need. So the first tip that I have is to build background. And we know that we know we need to build background, but what I want you to think about is you're building background with students who might not have that content. They might not have that background. So it's a lot more difficult. I remember when I was teaching second grade in Chicago, I had a boy come to my guided reading table and we were doing, you know, fishing with grandpa. Well, he had never gone fishing before. So all of a sudden this simple book made no sense to him. He had no context of fishing pole and, you know, bait, all these words, he had no idea. And so when you're working with ELLs, you need to think as you're approaching that passage or that book, what is the background that they have that I can connect to? This is why incorporating diverse books into your lessons are vital because they're not going to connect to a culture that's not theirs. I love seeing how many new diverse books there are out there, how many, you know, passages you can find that can help relate to these students. So this is as simple as a birthday party. Maybe you have, you have a passage about a piñata and, you know, abuelos, things like that, that the kids go, Oh, I know about that. Because when they're, they have that background, when they have a connection, they're going to be so much more open to trying to sharing, you know, to discussing, to learning. But when we give them a topic or a passage that they have no connection to, they have no background on, they're already having that hindrance from the start. So when I say build background, you know, one, it's looking for passages and books that are going to connect to your students. And two, of course, not all passages and books can connect to them. So how do you help prime them for what's going to happen? You know, if you've ever walked into a conversation and it takes a few minutes to kind of see, okay, what are they talking about? How can I connect to it? How can I jump in? For English language learners, they're kind of feeling like that. They're kind of entering a conversation. And if we don't give them that framework of here's where the conversation's going, it's going to take them a really long time to jump in and see and try to figure out what's going on. And you might already be moved past that by then. And so building background is crucial to help students kind of build that framework of even if they've never, they don't know what this topic is about, maybe it's a content topic that they don't know that. It's just providing those prompts, providing those activities that will help them get set up. You know, one of my favorites is doing an anticipation guide where they just read, you know, four or five statements and they decide if they're true or false. They don't have to have any background in that, but it helps get their brain ready for what is to come. 
And so those are my two tips with building background, you know, find a diverse read or just help prime their brain to get ready for what's to come. I love that. And I mean, kind of like what we said, how this is good for ELL students, but it's good for all students. Um, And I even remember when I, so I grew up in Minnesota and some of my my first years teaching were in Minnesota. And then I moved to the South and I remember reading (laughs) books to my students in Louisiana about blizzards and going sledding. And that was such a foreign concept to them. And I was like, why aren't they having, why aren't they participating in this conversation? Why aren't they asking questions? Why aren't they making connections? And it's like, well, this book means nothing to them because they can't connect to that experience. And I can imagine how, even if they can't connect to it. If they are, aren't even familiar with the language, that would make it even more difficult. Mm-hmm. So yes, I love that that is one of the tips. I think that is so important, not only for our ELL students, but all students just to not only give them the knowledge, but kind of like you said, the framework, something that they can connect to just any place that they can jump into the conversation. And it doesn't mean that you, you know, don't use books that they might not connect to because those kids probably enjoyed learning about snow. It might just take that extra step of planning. You know, maybe it's bringing in a scarf and some mittens, bringing in some reality, especially with our ELLs. If they can touch it, they can talk about it. They can learn the vocabulary that way. That's going to really help prime them for what is to come in the lesson. Yes. I love that. Anytime we can make it a little bit more visible. Okay. So what else do teachers need to think about? So this leads right into the second tip, which is to front load vocabulary with visuals. So if you've worked with ELLs at all, you know, pictures are necessary. They're they're, they're absolutely crucial to, you know, unlocking the language. So we build background. The next thing we do is we're going to pull out a few of those vocabulary words. Now you want to make sure you have a variety of vocabulary words, tier one, tier two, tier three words. You know, I listened to your podcast about five things not to do. And I thought, you know, that's so true. You don't want to pull out all the tricky words or label these tricky words. When you're approaching a passage or a book or your guided, you know, your reading block, look for those words that will cause confusion with your ELLs, you know, words that the comprehension will just be lost if they don't understand this word. So it's not necessarily your tricky words, but it's just, what are those words that they're going to mix up your students and kind of throw their thinking off into a totally different direction? (laughs) Or just some of those content words, highlighting those. Again, you're kind of taking that building background a step further when you do that, when you're front loading that vocabulary. So always use a picture There's so many great websites that have free stock photos. You know, Pixabay is one. You can just type in free stock photos and you can get some really quality pictures. Um, There's another website I can can tell you about it later. I can't remember it right now. But they just have quick video clips, you know, like 10 seconds. So even doing that to just kind of bring the students deeper into what they're going to be learning, how to really prep them for the passage they're going to be reading. It does take a little bit of time to make sure that they you know, are prepared before they get to the passage. We can't just jump into that. So when you use that visual, you talk about it, you know, I like to do connecting pictures. So maybe laying four pictures on the table and one of them doesn't go with the other three and then having them look at those and and talk about it, having them, you know, decide and explain, oh, these three go together because of this. Oh, so what do you think we're going to be reading today? If The three pictures are, you know, a fishing pole and a pond and whatever, you know, a a boy and his grandpa, that's going to help them then when they get into the passage. And so just anything like that, where you're playing with pictures, you're using pictures, gallery walks, you know, things where they're just observing a picture and pulling out the vocabulary. So you might not even tell them the vocabulary. You might just give them that picture prompt so that they can pull out the vocabulary or they can look up a definition 
I love using knowledge rating scales where you give them those vocabulary words that you think might cause some confusion and then let them rate if they know it, if they've heard of it, but they don't know what it means or they have no idea. And so on their own, they can go and look up the definition, you know, so um, just going off what you said in your, your previous podcast we don't want to just give it to them. We don't want to tell them everything. They're not going to learn language that way. If we're always saying, oh, here's the word and here's the definition that's completely taken out of context that they're going to say, okay, great. Well, I'm not going to, I don't know how to apply that with your ELLs. Another great way is to just let them look at what the word is in their native language. You know, in Spanish and English, 40% of the words are cognates. There's so many that are very similar. And so if you're working with Spanish speaking students, that's a great way to help them to build you know, deeper meaning with that vocabulary. If they know that word in their native language and it's almost the same, they're obviously going to know that word a lot quicker than if they just only, you know, look up the definition and look at a picture. So that's another way that you can help to front load the vocabularies, have them look at it up in their native language. I love all of those tips for so many reasons. And I love how with all of your examples, it's not just giving the students the words, but giving them the space to think about the vocabulary and make personal connections, which I think a lot of times our vocabulary instruction is missing that because so often kind of these boxed or scripted vocabulary programs are, here's the word, it's going to be in this one story, here's the <laughs> definition. And there's not really space for students to think about it. But I love even the simple of like the picture connections, you know, and that's a great way to build the background knowledge and help yep. students critically think about the pictures and the connections that they have. And that would even benefit struggling readers, even if they are native English speakers. So, so many good tips. I also just love thinking about, you know, any way that we can validate a student's native language. And like Mm -hmm. I said, the, the, my last year in the classroom, I was at an international school and we had eight different languages in my classroom. But if we were talking about vocabulary, I would have all the kids say, how do you say that in Italian? How do you say that in Arabic? How do you say that in Mandarin? You know, and just letting them explain that word. And, you know, some, in some languages, words don't even exist, you know, so having that conversation with students. And I think it's just a great way to give students another connecting point for vocabulary. Definitely. And it's just so important for the classroom environment, you know, where that's the norm for the teacher to support the native language instead of it, you know, being a deficit based approach of, oh, we got to get this kid to learn English as fast as possible. You know, we want to bring in the culture we want. And I think it really helps monolingual students see like, oh, wow, other kids are learning another language or they already know another language. I want to, you know, jump on board with that. I want to learn some more languages. So sure. I mean, even for me, I'm, I always say, I wish I was bilingual, but I remember having fourth grade students who were trilingual. They spoke three different languages fluently. And for the kids that only spoke English, they were like, how did you do that? Like, they're so curious. And then they want to know more. Like, was did you go to school? Like, did you live in multiple cultures? Like, how did that, you know, how is it that you're 10 years old and you can speak three languages fluently? (laughs) And I only know one. Okay, what else do teachers need to think about with their reading block? All right, so the next tip is to incorporate a way to listen to the passage or the guided reading book. Um, And so this is a great way if you are working with, you know, students who are really struggling with, with reading and working on reading and you just don't have time to read it to them. So maybe before they even come to your group, something that I love doing is recording a QR code and then just 
well, Sarah and I love to use post-it notes and printed post-it notes. That's our other wire. <laughs> <An> obsession. <laughs> <laughs> but this recording, you know, a quick, if it's a quick passage, just read it, put it onto the passage or the guided reading book beforehand and let them listen to it before they come to your group. That listening comprehension is so critical to how they're going to do in reading and writing. And too often, I feel that we just fly past listening comprehension and think, oh, well, they're they're listening in class, you know, they're going to get it. But it really is a training of the ear to learn how to listen in English. And so if they can listen to that, you know, even the day before, the night before, and then they're going to come to the, cl- the, the session ready, already having listened to it and having that fluently read to them, their comprehension, their understanding is going to be so much higher. And so I know it does take a little bit of work to record a passage or to record a guided reading book, but I think it is so critical to their comprehension um, and to them becoming a reader is being able to listen to it first. Well, and I, I kind of love just the, the popularity that audiobooks have had over the last couple of years, because mm-hmm. I think for the longest time, we expected that in order for students to be categorized as readers, they have to be able to read the text, but listening to audiobooks is just as valuable and important to the comprehension. And so I love that just there's so many audiobooks available, or even, you know, on YouTube, you can go to YouTube and find so many, you know, read alouds, popular read aloud stories that students can listen to. But one of the things I was thinking of as you were talking about how it can take a little bit more time and planning to record the passages, I was always fortunate and I had parents who would ask, How can I help in the classroom? And I think that right there is such a great way to get whether it's students who come back and need volunteer hours or, you know, aids that you have, or if parents are looking for ways to volunteer, have them read passages out loud and just, you can use those as the QR codes then. So that way teachers aren't having to take a little bit extra time, but the ELL students or all of the students for that matter can have access to the listening of the text before they jump in. Such a good, such a good idea. And that's a great, a great point with the parent volunteers, or even if you're on a team of four teachers, you know, if you're all using the same passages, say, okay, I'll do these three, you do these three and kind of share it out that way. Well, and then the nice thing is too, is you can basically build your own library of audio audio texts for passages or guided reading books over time because you can just save those audio files for year after year or group after group. And then you can send them home with the students. They can practice at home. You know, they can practice with their parents. So it just really, it takes a little bit of time, but I think the return is definitely worth it. For sure. And that just hits home the point that we talked about at the beginning, how when we plan with our ELL students in mind, really all students can benefit from that. Yes, definitely. Okay. These tips are seriously gold. I am loving these. Um, It kind of makes me wish that I was back in the classroom (laughs) so I could redo all of the mistakes I feel like I made when it came to supporting my ELL students. And I know you have a few more things you want to share. So what's the next tip that you have for teachers? Great. The next tip is to talk about it. And okay, what do you mean by talk about it? Talk about what? (laughs) (laughs) So, what I mean is, we need to make sure that during our guided reading, you know, group time, or if it's your reading block, however you have it set up, is that you are providing tons of opportunities for students to talk with peers about what they're working on. You know, far too often, I think teachers, we really push it to the limit of how much time we are talking. And so the students sit and go, oh yeah, great, I get this. And they just haven't applied it at all. And so we need to make sure that every lesson we're giving them a time, even if it's as simple as turn and talk to your elbow buddy, you know, up and moving around the room if you're doing a whole group, whatever it is, find a way to get them to talk to their peers. 
because very few students will feel comfortable raising their hand and sharing out in front of the whole class. And so they won't share at all. And then they're not applying what they've been working on. And so as often as you can get them comfortable, you know, talking with a peer, that peer then validifies what they have been sharing, what they're working on, what they're learning, and that gives them more confidence. It's called the effective filter. We want to make sure we're doing everything we can to lower that effective filter so that they feel comfortable, they feel confident, they feel it's a safe place to take risks and to learn. And so the more you incorporate that style of, all right, we're going to constantly be talking, but it's in a place that's very safe. And, you know, very, you're not going to feel that you're taking risks all the time, because if you're just talking to your neighbor, it's not a big deal. So, you know, in a guided reading setting, having them apply right away, you know, answering some task cards about comprehension or um, giving them a sentence starter and then having them finish that, giving them a word bank and then saying, hey, can you, you know, come up with a sentence using these words from our story? Whatever it is, make sure that you're taking that one to two minutes to have them verbally say what they are working on, what they've been listening, what they've been learning during your session. Without that verbal um, moment, they are really, a lot of what they're going to learn is going to be lost. You know, I took Spanish for 10 years and like very rarely spoke it. I was able to get through the whole time <laughs> without speaking it. And then when we went and lived abroad and I needed to know Spanish, I couldn't speak it. I, I had no conversation skills. And so that is something that's become so pa- a huge passion of mine is to make sure we don't do that to our students, that we're making sure that we're providing ample opportunities for them, for them to share and converse um, so that they're not just learning it, you know, academically, but it's really preparing them to talk with others, to share, to feel confident. That's a big thing too, that confidence when they are able to share with others, that's going to build their confidence when they're able to speak they're going to be confident in all areas. They're going to be willing to try a lot harder and take risks, um, you know, with, by those little, those little steps. That's so good. And I, I am always telling the teachers in my membership and just anytime I do a session that teachers work hard enough as is, we don't need to be the ones doing all of the talking and all yeah. of the writing and how really when students are talking or writing, that is evidence of their thinking. And so if you go an entire small group and students never had had a chance to talk to each other or write anything down, then that's, you know, that's, they haven't spent time thinking really. And so I love increasing, just increasing the talk time that students get. I always say a noisy classroom is a productive classroom because that means kids are talking to each other about what you're teaching. Yes. And I mean, something to keep in mind is I know in the Panamanian schools that I've visited, you know, that's the opposite. That is not what's happening there. It's very still, you know, like it was 50 years ago where silent classrooms are where there's learning happening. And so keeping that in mind, especially if you have a newcomer who's recently come to the U.S., your classroom might be very overwhelming for them and very different. So it might take a lot of modeling and showing them, you know, how do you respond to this? How do you, how do you speak up? I like to play speaking games where you just give them, you know, like talking chips. And every time they share, they get a chip and whoever has the most at the end of your guided reading session gets a prize or something. I don't know, just to encourage, there is that that barrier to speaking. So you want to be sensitive with that as well. But when they feel that support from you, when you're smiling and saying, you're doing great, you're, you're celebrating those quick wins, they will definitely begin to start speaking more often. Well, and I think, again, I'm just making all these connections to how important this is for all of our students. But I even found over the years how important it is for us to model 
appropriate speaking and listening Mm -hmm. for the rest of our class. And we always talked about if you're having like your conversation voice is very different than your presenting voice, you know, and if you're talking with somebody one-on-one, you know, making eye contact, listening to what they're saying, asking questions, I think it's important to not, not only for our ELL students, but model to students what conversation looks like in the classroom in all of the different capacities. If you're having a casual conversation, you know, during a reading center or during indoor recess looks very different than if you are having a serious conversation during a book club, but showing students what that looks like and really giving them the tools to be successful in conversation in all areas of the classroom. Oh yes. Hands down. (laughs) Okay. I think you have one more tip. So what's the last thing that you want to share with our audience today? All right. So my last tip is to make sure that you are having an independent application after you're, you've modeled it, you've given them the support, you've given them the scaffolds. You know, a lot of times with our ELLs, we just give them a lot of scaffolds, but we actually can over scaffold sometimes if we don't provide an opportunity for them to work on it independently. So as we've gone through this process, you know, using that reading block to really maximize your time with your ELLs, we want to make sure we include at the end, you know, an exit slip or post-its, you know, something where they're going to go back and they're going to read and they're going to apply that scale they've been working on. Maybe it's a graphic organizer, keeping in mind something that they are going to feel confident using. So you don't want to give them something that you haven't gone over before that, you know, it's something brand new and you send them off. That's going to create confusion. That's going to create fear. That's not what they're, you're not setting them up for success. So I recommend, you know, if you're doing a graphic organizer, use that same graphic organizer frequently so that they say, oh, okay, I know how to do comparing the trust. I've used this before on that book or remind them, hey, remember we did this on this book. Remember, this is what you wrote down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Giving them kind of that visual prompt will help them apply what they've been working on. And I was so guilty of this. I was always finding new things and finding new ideas. And oh, I'm going to try this now. I'm going to try this now. I was the same. (laughs) I know it's so hard. You have Pinterest now. You have all these ideas. You have free things on TPT. And so it'd be like, oh, let's try this graphic. Oh, let's do this. And really it was a disservice to my ELLs, especially because they're trying to keep up with me and they have no idea where I'm going. And so this is why it's just important to have this framework of what these tips I'm sharing and then kind of end that, make sure you give them that ending point where, okay, now it's your turn to apply this. You know, I know you've talked about in your other podcast of just guided reading is really meant to push our students to be independent. And that is a huge reason why this time is so great for supporting ELLs, because you can work with them on where they are at. You can give them those quick wins, setting goals with them. Even that independent application might be a reflection or a, a, you know, a rubric and having them rate how they did during that class. It doesn't have to be something that's, you know, you're adding in a whole nother element here. It's just kind of making sure that they are feeling that they're, you know, one, that they're making gains or they're making progress, that they're proud of their work and just kind of helps their brain close out that time together that's, that's, what's really important is that they have that time to, you know, apply themselves and also kind of, okay, this was our session today. I can, I can close that part of my brain and we're going to move on to something else instead of this kind of open-ended constantly. Where are we going now? I'm not sure. I love that. That's, I think so important. And again, like we said before, that is helpful, not only for our ELL students, but all, (laughs) all of our students sort of having that 
that time to really close out the lesson and know that, okay, this, this portion of my learning has been completed for now. Yeah. Um, and I was so bad at that. <laughs> I would run it to the end of it. Oh no, we only got through the first part. Okay. And sometimes, I mean, if it takes three days to get through something, you know, I think this is a bonus tip, but not to feel the pressure to rush through it. You know, learning a language takes a long time. And so when we come at it with a mentality that, all right, full speed ahead, we got to get them. I would see it as, I think sometimes we have this mentality that, you know, they're on the conveyor belt and our job is to just get them to fluency in English. And that's not our job. Our job is to help support them where they're at and help them become learners and help them, you know, just as kids to grow and feel welcomed and happy and engaged. Um, And so when we have that mentality of like full speed ahead, we got to help these kids make up this lost time, then they're going to feel that they're going to feel that stress and anxiety. And so, you know, just taking a deep breath. And if a guy, if one passage takes you three days to do that, great, keep going with it. If they're interested in it, see how else you can supplement that and expand that and, and let them get engaged with it. But if we're constantly, okay, time for a new passage, here's new vocabulary, here's, you know, a new skill, then they're going to just feel really overwhelmed and lost. I was really good at starting things in my classroom. I was not so good at finishing things. And (laughs) it's one of the things that towards the end of my time in the classroom, I realized how important the closure of a lesson Mm -hmm. or the closure of reading workshop is. And I kind of became aware of it one year when you know, we would be on our way to recess and I'd be like, okay, tomorrow we're going to do this or put these away or we're done with this now. And of course, that's not the way to close out a lesson, but I would have students that would say, well, what about this? What about this story? What about this passage? What about this thing? I was like, oh, that was, we did that last week. They're like, but we didn't finish it. And so I think our, our kids are aware, you know, in our teacher brains, we know where we're headed, but our kids are responding in the moment and they're aware of things that we don't finish, that we don't complete. And so I think that, yeah, just the the idea that sometimes we can go too fast and that doesn't help our ELL students or really any of our students. And so giving teachers just that permission to slow down and take time. And if a, a guided reading lesson extends three days, if your read aloud takes multiple weeks, yep. that's okay because then we're really giving students the support they need to fully understand and really complete whatever that learning experience is. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. I seriously love all of these tips and it just makes me so excited for all the teachers who are hearing this because like you said, it none of these things are things that are going to require extra copying, extra printing, extra cutting, extra prepping. They are just things that with a little bit extra intention can have such a huge impact on our ELL students. So thank you so much for being willing to share these great tips with my audience. If my audience is not already following you. What are all the different ways that they can connect with you in the wonderful world of the teacher of the teacher internet? <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, I'd love for it to, yeah, to share more teacher tips for supporting ELLs in the homeroom classroom. You can find me um, on all channels at Inspiring Young Learners. That's on TPT, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I also wanted to share an exclusive freebie just for your listeners. Oh, awesome. So you can go and grab some closed reading passages that are already set up with these tips that we've talked about. It helps build background, focuses on vocabulary, and then it has the QR codes in there already. Oh my goodness, amazing. And then there's a comprehension piece at the end. So I wanted to share some exclusive freebies with your listeners only. So you can grab those at inspiringyounglearners.com slash stellar. Oh, that's so awesome. And we will go ahead and link to that in the show notes along with Beth's Instagram and TPT store. And before we go though, 
you have a really awesome way and a, this really great community that you're using to support your ELL students. You should go ahead and tell my audience about your membership site. Oh, yes. Great. Um, so I have a membership called Equipping ELLs, and it is an awesome community. That's what I love the most about it, <laughs> are the teachers that are a part of it. It's mostly ESL specialists from all over the country, and they are supporting students from grades K through 12, um, all different language levels, You know, students from all around the world. It's amazing to hear where these students are coming from and what languages they speak. So it's very exciting. So it's a membership where I give monthly lesson plans and all the resources and strategies and coaching. But the best part is definitely the community. We get to meet twice a month and do some breakout sessions, do some, you know, just learning from one another. ELLs are all very different. And so it can be very overwhelming sometimes to know how to support, you know, what worked with one newcomer that you had last year might work, not work with your newcomer this year. So it it can be a very, Yeah, just difficult to figure out how to really best support these students. And so this is a great way for teachers to connect and get to talk about what's working for students, especially right now with, you know, what's working when you're doing online learning. How do you support a newcomer virtually? And what are you doing that's working? So it's been a huge blessing to get to support these teachers, get to know them and for them to get to connect with each other. That's awesome. I just love the way that you are supporting teachers that work with ELL students. So We'll include the link to that as well for the show notes in case anybody in my audience wants to either check that out or pass that on if they have an ELL specialist at their school. So again, Beth, thank you so much. I just appreciate your willingness to come on and share your heart and passion and expertise on all things ELL with my audience. So I'm sure we'll chat soon. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much, Sarah. Bye. Bye. much for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you subscribe and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. Don't forget to join me over on Instagram at The Stellar Teacher Company. And you can also find links and resources from this episode in the show notes at stellarteacher.com. I'll see you back here next week.